0: All right, welcome to the money puzzle i am brian that is chris that is eric chris remembered eric's name it's still going to be a running joke there for a while i'm never going to live it down probably either. not no. uh but anyway so today we're talking taxes uh, it's pretty appropriate um we've had lots of uh questions about taxes uh we're actually right at so this is uh what the middle of end of, end of may so yep. lots of folks just paid their taxes and now they're coming back in saying hey what can I do for next year? Or I paid a little bit more than I wanted to back in April, or I got back more than I wanted to, so what do I do? And so that's sort of what we want today to be focused around is sort of what are some of the accounts and how they're taxed, and uh, just what are some other tax strategies that we typically are talking about, either now until or, or up until the end of the year, uh, when clients come in, sort of what are we talking about and how do we prepare for the following year? So we, and we've had a couple of interesting uh, tax <laughs> questions type situations that have come up over the last couple of weeks. And I literally went
1: into uh, Chris's office. Uh, even called my
0: dad, who's an accountant. And I said, you're not going to believe this one. This is one for your, uh, you know, for your storybook. Uh, so anyway, I'll tell that one in a few minutes, but that's kind of what we're focusing on today. Uh, phone number for us, 502. Miss Producer may be putting that on the screen right now. Uh, phone number for us, 502-2005-210. Uh, and if you like anything that we say throughout, uh, throughout this podcast, or if you've been listening to our podcast for a while and you're like, hey, I really want to come and uh, talk to you guys about taxes and what strategies you may want to use uh, with your financial situation, uh, give us a call and come in and uh, we'll give you a complimentary review we'll talk all about taxes in your particular situation. So with that being said, uh, who wants to take the first one? We want to talk about accounts or sort
1: of. I think we probably should start with that just to kind of lay the groundwork. Um, All right. So the first thing that, you know, when we're talking in workshops to people, you have to identify there's a difference between an investment and an account because we hear people all the time that come in and they'll say, well, I have a mutual fund account. No, that's what's in the account. So uh, the big accounts that you hear about, 401K, IRAs, Roth IRAs, Roth 401Ks, uh, brokerage accounts, things like that. So uh, I'll tackle the first one, which is, that's the big one. That's what we call a qualified account. So that's, you put your money into this type of account pre-tax, or you write it off on your taxes uh, you know, at the end of the year when you're filing. Uh, the money grows tax-deferred, so it's completely left alone. That's why these accounts get bigger. Uh, than all the other types. And when you take the money out in retirement, because they're almost all of these are specific to retirement, uh, then you have to report it as income. So that would be your 401Ks, traditional IRAs, simple SEPs, if you work in a smaller company, you might have access to something like that, uh, 403Bs, uh, uh, profit sharing accounts, things of that nature, depending on the type of employer you've got. Uh, and then there's an additional caveat Uh, to these type of accounts, too, if it's a retirement account. uh, Once you get to, under current law, age 72, uh, then basically the IRS has been patient long enough and they want you to start taking money out. It's called a required minimum distribution or an RMD, uh, which you hear people talk about all the time. Uh, Depending on the age that you are in that year, you have to take a certain percentage uh, of the total holdings in that account out and report it as income. So that's the first big one.
2: It's worth noting too, with qualified accounts, I mean, they're all retirement accounts. They're all geared for retirement. That's why they all have the restrictions on, (coughs) excuse me, you can't touch them until you're 59 and a half. You can't take any distributions prior uh, to them. So um, they all grow tax deferred. You know, some, now if if it's a Roth account, it comes out tax free as a distribution in retirement, but they all grow tax deferred. That's why they all have uh, limits as far as contributions that you can put into the accounts each year. So whether that's a simple IRA, a SEP IRA, a 401k, individual IRA, they all have different contribution limits yeah. based on whatever type of account that is. Think about those accounts as, you know, you use this analogy a lot as a cookie jar. Yeah. You know, each one of these is a different type of a cookie jar. You can have the same types of cookies in all the different cookie jars, but each different cookie jar is going to be taxed in a different type of way. You guys are talking about cookies, and now I'm hungry. It is mid-afternoon. It's about I,
0: know. I, need, time. I need a little snack, so we're going to have to maybe go get some cookies. Hit the vending machine upstairs. Yeah, get some cookies. Oh, and, and just as a, as a quick, uh, I know we've been throwing around the word qualified. We also use the term non-qualified. Uh, we use those because we know exactly what they mean, but just uh, I know we've kind of hinted around at it, but qualified just means that that account type, especially, it, it really qualifies for uh, tax deferment. Yeah, right. Um, and you have a non-qualified, which we call a non-retirement account or a non-qualified account. That means that it's not qualified for the special tax treatment and that you are taxed sort of as you go, which leads to the taxable account. So why don't we talk yeah.
2: about non-qualified accounts? Yeah, well, non-qualified is very much just kind of a catch-all term. Now, Good way for yeah, yeah, you could use it, the term brokerage account. Uh, non-qualified account, taxable account. You mentioned mutual fund account. That's right. a common one. Non-retirement account. Non-retirement account. Even absolutely.
0: though it's really for retirement, we call it a non-retirement account. Yeah, they, yeah. They,
2: They're all basically the exact same thing. They are non-qualified accounts, um, basically, mm-hmm. that do not qualify for tax deferral. So if they do not qualify for tax-deferred growth, what does that mean? <clears throat> Excuse me. What does that mean? You have to pay taxes on the growth every single year. So I've got something stuck in. up. Throat. I have yeah. to eat right before we came in here. Um, but you have to pay taxes on the growth each and every year. Now the type of tax that you pay depends upon how long you've had the holdings or the cookies inside the individual cookie jars, so to speak. So that's where we get into short-term capital gains and long-term capital gains. Short-term cap gains, if you hold a cookie for less than a year, uh, hold a stock or an, you know, a stock or a bond or a mutual fund or an ETF exchange traded fund whatever type of uh, specific investment that you have within that non-qualified account, if you hold it for less than a year, 365 days or less, um, it's going to be taxed as a short-term capital gain, which is equivalent to whatever your ordinary income tax rate is. So if your ordinary income tax rate is, let's say you're in the 25% tax bracket, that's what your short-term capital gain is going to be. Now, a long-term capital gain is when you hold it for one year or longer, so 365 days. So when you start getting towards the end of the year and you have a holding that you're not quite sure what you might want to do with it, typically you want to at least wait until the end of that 365-day period is up because you're going to be taxed less uh, on any gains uh, that, that you are going to realize. There's an old saying: you don't ever actually take a loss until you make a sale. Right. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing: you don't ever actually realize a gain either until you sell something. Uh, so whenever you go to sell a holding, you have to realize the capital gain, whether it's a loss uh,
1: or a gain. So. So it's interesting that you say you know a loss or a gain. And I know we, we said we wanted to talk about uh, a little bit more complicated strategy like a like tax loss harvesting. Uh, but the first thing that I would add to what Eric said was that your long-term capital gains rate varies based upon your adjusted gross income on your taxes that year. So if you've got, and I don't remember all the numbers and it depends on single versus married versus head of household, all that. But if your income is below a certain threshold, then your long-term capital gains rate is zero. Uh, And then there's there's another little window there where your long-term capital gains rate, and this is where most people fall, is 15%, so considerably lower than what your income tax rate would be. Uh, And then the highest current bracket, and this one makes the news every couple of years, they start talking about changing it. It's currently at 20%, and then there is a Medicare tax on top of that, which I believe is 2.3 or 3.2 or something in that ballpark. So you end up paying about 23% on that one, but all of those are considerably less than what the income tax bracket of those people would be.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so we're talking about tax loss harvesting, because you might
1: just explain what that means. Okay, so... you mentioned it, but we didn't explain what it means. Going back to what Eric was talking about, we see people come mm-hmm. in all the time, and they've uh, they've bought stock years and years and years ago in a certain company, and it's it's inflated quite a bit because the company's done well. Think uh, think Amazon or one of those and how big they are compared to where they were 20 years ago. You
2: see a lot of, like, GE or... Ford Absolutely. Locally, locally you, yeah. you U- see GPS, those all the time. Yeah.
1: Yep. So if you've got whatever that growth is above the original amount that you invested, which is called basis, uh, whatever that growth is, you have to pay that, uh, that capital gain on it when you sell it. But if you sell something that you've actually lost value in, that's a capital loss. So tax loss harvesting is a way of, hey, I've got some, for lack of a better word, I've got some dogs in my portfolio. We've lost money on them if we sell, but I've got these highly inflated holdings that you know, the, the capital gain is going to be pretty high. If you sell both of those in the same year, you help offset that big gain uh, by taking advantage of a loss that you're unlikely to recover very much on. And that's, that's a real high level of what tax loss harvesting is.
0: Yeah, so, just, uh, so we actually have a dedicated meeting uh, with clients that's really towards the end of the year where we do tax planning. And so we bring everybody in towards the end of the year and we, do, uh, we go through portfolio and see if there's any tax loss harvesting we can do, uh, any adjustments we need to make in the portfolio. But we want to minimize the tax impact of the client. And this just happens to be one of those weird years where right here in the middle of the year, you know, we're having the market pullback quite a bit. And so this is, you know, a lot of times you look at it and say, well, this is the worst thing that can happen. And, and it, we don't like to see negatives. We never like to see negatives. However, you can actually take advantage of poor markets to to offset uh, your gains that you might have in another position you might have for years. So right now when somebody comes in, that's what we're doing. We're sitting down saying, hey, I know we typically have this meeting at the end of the year, but now let's try to get as many people in as we can that have the the taxable accounts or the non-qualified accounts uh, because we do tax planning in there. And so we just had a client in last week, and we had one position that they had held forever and ever and ever, Um, because it had a considerable gain in it and they're like well we really don't want to sell it we love the position but we don't want to sell it because it's got this huge capital gain in there so they came in I was like hey you guys need to come in they came in and I was like look you still you still have a gain but you've got enough that we can offset almost all of it they were like yeah I know but if I sell it you know I, I love the position I want to keep it and I'm like not a problem So what we did was we turned around and sold all the ones that had the negatives on there. And we're going to talk about how long you have to keep those sold in a second. (laughs) Uh, But then we turned right around and we sold the one position they had. It was in Pepsi. And we, we, so we captured their gain. So as soon as we sold it, we sort of locked in that gain, but we offset it by selling things that didn't have a gain, And then we turned right around and bought the exact same number of shares in Pepsi right back. Uh, You can do that. Anytime you sell a security for a gain, You can lock in that gain turn or resell it and all we did was make their basis whatever we paid for it at the time on a loss we had two positions in there that we we actually want to repurchase but we have to wait 30 days in order to do that so what we did was we sold the positions we looked for a similar position okay you know not the exact same position something fairly similar and we bought that something fairly similar and we just made a note that in 30 days we'll go back and sell that position and buy back the original one um so that's anyway that's kind of just some things that you know again something you should be thinking about especially if you have a taxable account uh or a non-qualified account Um, so if you're if you find yourself in that position you're like oh my gosh i wind up paying more than i did last year which i'm gonna tell a funny story in just a minute about that but if you find yourself in that position or you maybe paid more taxes last year than you felt, or you got back a lot more taxes than what you normally do, or you know you just get back a lot of taxes every year, and you just want some tax advice. We don't give tax advice, just for the record. Um, that's for <laughs> compliance. I, I, we do not give tax advice, um, but we, we, uh, we actually go to or work with uh, your CPA or your tax advisor to work with them on how to give proper tax advice, uh, but anyway... Uh, They'll appreciate that, won't they? They probably won't. They probably won't approve this one because I just said that. But anyway, uh, we we don't give tax advice, but we certainly uh, look for tax planning. Uh, That's some things that we certainly can do. So if you find yourself in that position, uh, give us a call. And I think Ms. Producer may put our phone number back up there 502 200 5210, and schedule your complimentary uh, opportunity to come in and talk about taxes with us. All right, so real quick, um, let's see, let's talk about. Uh, Well, I'll I'll go back and tell my funny story real quick about this taxable about this taxable account. So, uh, actually, this wasn't a taxable account. We had a client that came in this past week. That they had they came in. They said, "Hey, I need to talk to you about taxes." Okay, great. What happened? Well, we paid four thousand dollars more in taxes this year than we did last year. So I'm like, "Oh boy." So, and they did have a tax, taxable account. And they had an IRA. So I pull up their 1099s and I'm looking at both of them. I'm like, yeah, one of them was like $227 and the other one was like $900 they took out of one account of the IRA. And I go, well, that wouldn't be $4,000 worth of taxes. Right. So I'm, I'm not, quite sure, not quite sure what happened. And so uh, they wanted, they said, well, here's the packet that I gave the accountant. So I get the packet and you could see where the accountant went through with a red pen and checked the boxes to make right. sure like on their 1099, check the little box. It said $227 they had entered that information. Well, lo and behold, he handed me a December statement, not a 1099, no tax document, nothing, just a statement, a statement. which you never give your, your accountant or CPA to do your taxes. They weren't, they just didn't know that. And so they just put their December statement in there, which by the way, was an IRA statement. And that's the best part of this. Story yeah, the right best the best part of the story. Well, I, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that was the best part. I think the other piece was. Right. But anyway, it was an IRA, which is a very good piece. However, that I, I I grabbed the statement, and I saw there was a check mark on the front, the first page of the balance, and I thought, well, that's weird, and I don't know that anybody would need to know that. So I kind of started flipping through there, and sure enough, I got to the unrealized capital gain in the account, and there was a check mark. 22,000 bucks and I'm like, okay, I can do the math and figure out that's where the number came from. Yep. And so uh, so here, here's the lesson to that story is if you find yourself in a position where you're doing your taxes and you find a weird number that comes out like something just weird happens, go back and double and triple check because that was they, this has never happened to them. So they should have gone back and said, well, that's just weird. let's go back and double check. oh yeah, this is a statement. And it's unrealized capital gain; it's not even realized in an IRA. So, yeah, say,
1: go back to what we were talking about at the yeah. beginning. Capital gains is for a non-qualified account, An IRA that's is right. a qualified account. So, that's that's an irrelevant number for their taxes.
2: Well Yeah, the cap, what that means is the, there. Is, The unrealized gain in an IRA or a qualified account really is is irrelevant because you don't pay taxes until you actually take a distribution. So that's why we mean by Mm -hmm. that number. And I would even,
0: uh, yeah, and I would actually understand the accountant checking the box if it said realized.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it said unrealized
1: Unrealized. at that.
2: So. And unrealized means you didn't actually sell the position. Right. Yeah. Realized is when you sold the position at a gain, you realize yeah. the gain You've in the account. You've made money
1: on paper, but you, you right. haven't actually yeah. gotten yeah. any out of we it. We were
2: talking about tax loss harvesting earlier. If yeah. you realize a loss, you can realize a loss the same way as you realize a gain, and that's when you carry forward the, the, the loss or give right. that loss to your accountant. But once again, it's irrelevant in a qualified account because those grow tax deferred anyway. Right, yeah.
0: Yeah, So the other, uh, the other one that, uh, the other thing that happened, uh, that sort of brought up this conversation around taxes and investment accounts, um, we had we had a client that uh, wanted to sell some securities out of his account. Okay, it was a, it was a non, is uh, it, non-qualified account? Okay, like a traditional brokerage account, and. He said he called up and said, "Hey, I want to liquidate, you know, X amount of thousands of dollars." It was a pretty big number; it's a hundred thousand dollars. So I'm like, "Okay." So I pull up his account, and I, you know, I was like, had him on the phone. I'm like, "Hey, if we do that, here's, here's a capital gain that you're going to wind up paying." It was a significant number; it's like thirty some thousand dollars. Yeah, but I pay I pay taxes as I go. There shouldn't be any, <laughs> there shouldn't be any taxes. And I was like, "Oh boy, here we go." So I had to explain about that. Yeah, he, uh, <laughs> about that. But the interesting thing is so. There can be this misperception of how taxes are, how you pay taxes in an account. He assumed that because as he would get you know, dividends and interest, and he right. liquidated a few things here and there, and he had some, a few little capital gains, he assumed that he was sort of paying him as you went, which is 100% true, right? In, in a non qualified account, mm-hmm. if you get dividends and interest, you, you pay that right. you know, every year. So he assumed that as, because he did that, he didn't owe anything when he sold something. And that's not true either. So in a non-retirement account or a non-qualified account, there's actually multiple taxes, right? You, you get taxed when you uh, get dividends and interest in the account.
1: You get taxed with capital gains. So there's, there's multiple ways that you're taxed. I think people don't realize, that, or some people don't realize, there's a difference between the dividends and the interest that are paying out and the growth on the actual security. Yeah. And that's, that's where, the, where that guy was making that mistake.
2: Well, the easiest way to break it down is, you know, this is a, the analogy I use or the way I explain it to most clients. If I buy a stock at $50, okay, buy a stock, whatever share pick Coca-Cola, I buy one share of Coca-Cola at $50. If it goes up to $100 mm-hmm. in value... That's a gain. However, unless I sell that one share of stock, I don't actually realize that gain of $50 in my account until I go to sell it. If I sell it at 100, uh, once again, before one year is up, it's going to be taxed as a short-term capital gain. If I do it after a year is up, it's taxed, that $50 gain is taxed as a long-term capital gain. For most people, that's going to be a 15% tax versus whatever your ordinary income uh, tax rate is. Uh, Now, along the way, if I own that one share of stock, if you own a stock in pretty much anything, you you, you own an equity, you own a piece of the business, right? Right. And if you are a shareholder of a business, typically what most companies will do, at least ones that are large, especially like a Coca-Cola, for example, they're going to pay dividends every quarter to their shareholders. And typically it might range anywhere from a few cents to a few dollars per share, depending upon the company. So if you receive that dividend income from that owning that one share of stock uh, in Coca-Cola, then that is treated as income. Right. That that dividend is income to you, just like you know earn, any earnings that you receive uh, from from work that you do or you know working at your job. So that's going to be taxed at whatever your ordinary income tax rate is, which is once again different than if you sell the position for a long-term capital gain.
1: And that's what the the guy in Brian's story that was the issue was yep. that. He was paying taxes on those dividends, not realizing that there's still a capital gain that's due when he sells the position.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, we, we, again, we wanted to keep this kind of simple. We could take taxes in a million different directions. Yeah. Uh, and, but be- wh- and believe it
2: or not, this is actually simple.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, look. It gets more complicated. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, taxes are difficult, right? They didn't uh, – you know, if you were to look at the tax book, it was like, I don't know, three feet high or something with tax oh, codes. Uh, and, and I will tell you, here's the other interesting story. Uh, talking about taxes. So I was uh, on the road headed to a, fun- a, fr- a friend of mine's funeral, his dad's funeral, this weekend. I happened to call my dad and tell him the story about this, this capital gains and uh, the IRA yeah. and all that. So I was talking to him about it, and we got – he said, when you do your taxes, if you took the exact same information, okay, exact same tax information, and you gave it to 100 CPAs, you're gonna come back with 100 different answers. I believe it. And you will, because the tax code is so weird and wonky that it's, so at the end of the day, seek the advice of a professional when it comes to taxes. Mm-hmm. We don't give tax advice, but we, give, we do tax planning along with your tax preparer. And I will tell you that make sure whoever you work with that you are doing tax planning at least once a year with your advisor and your tax advisor. Because you can sit at the table with your tax advisor, and they can give you one set of, an, uh, of, ad, one set of advices around – that's not a word. A Did set it? of advice, whatever <laughs> it is, around a particular topic that is totally contrary to what your advisor is going to yeah. tell you. So you need to be on the same pages um, – you need to be on the same page with – I was, that was, trouble was, with the portals No, 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 that was supposed to be funny. Anyway, you're supposed to – you need to be on the same page with your tax appare – and even your uh, legal advisor yeah. and your financial advisor. So just make sure you're doing that to, uh, to make sure that you're not missing anything.
1: You know, we did a podcast a few weeks ago uh, when you were not here because you were playing golf and we threw you under the bus a lot. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. We, we had a CPA come mm-hmm. in and we were asking him the biggest mistakes that people make. And one of them that he pointed out was that they don't kind of prepare for their taxes. They just file them. They just come in at the last minute or, you know, February or March, and they hand mm-hmm. all their receipts and their stuff to their CPA and say, here, do it. He, he said exactly what you're saying. You need to plan this throughout the year for the following year.
0: Yeah, and it's like that the couple that came in, all they had to do was reach out to me while they were in the mm-hmm. meeting with the, their accountant and say, hey, something's weird, and we would have quickly solved it, yeah. and they wouldn't have had to written a check for a 4000 bucks. So, again, just it's very important you do that. If you don't have a financial advisor or if you have one that does not do this planning every year uh, and you think it would benefit you, make sure you come see us. Uh, Ms. Producer, I think, is going to throw our phone number back up there on the screen. For those of you that are listening, our phone number is 502-200-5210, and we'll be happy to uh, sit down with you and talk taxes. Uh, Again, we don't give tax advice, but we do tax planning. Uh, So that's it for another week. We'll let Eric sign us off, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.
2: Thanks for listening on whatever podcast uh, channel that you're currently utilizing uh, at this moment. If you find any of our content relevant or interesting that you would like to share with any friends or family, we would greatly appreciate that. If you could also leave us a rating and a review, that would also be very much appreciated as well. Thanks for listening and we will see you next time. The information given herein is taken from sources that IFP Advisors LLC, doing business as Independent Financial Partners IFP, IFP Securities, doing business as IFP. And its advisors believed to be reliable, but it is not guaranteed by us as to accuracy or completeness. This is for informational purposes only, and in no event should be construed as an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any securities or products. Please consult your tax and/or legal advisor before implementing any tax and/or legal related strategies mentioned in this publication. As IFP does not provide tax and/or legal advice, opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs of individual investors. This report may not be reproduced, distributed, or published by any person for any purpose without IFP's express prior written consent. Securities offered through IFP Securities, LLC, doing business as independent financial partners, IFP, member of FINRA and SIPC. Investment advice offered through IFP Advisors, doing business as IFP, a registered investment advisor. IFP and family wealth planning partners are not affiliated. The information given herein is taken from sources that IFP Advisors, LLC, doing business as IFP, IFP Securities, LLC, doing business as IFP, And its advisors believe to be reliable, but it is not guaranteed by us as to accuracy or completeness. This is for informational purposes only, and in no event should be construed as an offer to sell or solicitation of an offer to buy any securities or products. Please consult your tax and or legal advisor before implementing any tax and or legal related strategies mentioned in this publication as IFP does not provide tax and or legal advice. Opinions expressed are subject to change without notice and do not take into account the particular investment objectives, financial situation, or needs of individual investors.